Psalm 150. So every Sunday morning, every Sunday for the past 2,000 years, Christians have gathered to worship Jesus. If we could see those gatherings, even those happening right now, some of them happened a few hours ago in different time zones. If I had called our friends in Asia, that, that was, it was yesterday was their Sunday, overnight. If we, could, if we could bop in and be, as they say, a fly on the wall and observe their time of singing, what a rich tapestry it would be from all over the globe. You know, we, we just finished here with our worship team up front. I'm grateful for our worship team. I think we do pretty good for a small church. I'm thankful for these folks. Thank you, guys. Yes. Yes. We've got our worship team, but then, you know, if you were to visit other churches, there'd be organs, choirs, kind of a more traditional service. If we were to go visit a small group of believers in Africa, It'd be on these traditional African drums, the djembe and the udu and the bata. We wouldn't even recognize the music. Chinese brothers and sisters gathering together to, to sing. And have you heard that like distinctly Chinese stringed instrument? Maybe you can think of it, maybe you can't. But if you heard it, you would think China when you heard it. And I looked up the names of those instruments and then decided not to use those names because I cannot say any of the names of those instruments. But if you went to some Aboriginal people in Australia, you might hear the didgeridoo, one of the cooler instruments, or the bagpipes in Scotland, guitars and keyboards in Spotsylvania. Regardless of where you went, though, one instrument would be in common. Voices. They are all singing. Because that's what Christians do. When Christians gather for worship, one of the things that Christians do is we sing. Why? Why do we sing? How should we sing? What's the purpose of that time? You know, for many here, you've been in church for years, and so you come to church and you sing every time. Maybe we haven't taken the time. Why? And how should I approach, as a believer, how, how should I approach that time? So this is our third and final week in a series entitled Grace When We Gather. And it's speaking of the grace of God which flows towards us every time we gather as a local church. Because praise God, He does meet us by His grace when we come together. So we've talked about a few different ways that God has met us by His grace. This morning, we're going to consider singing. The grace of God that comes when we sing. And right up front, you might say, oh, I thought you would say, Ken, worship. Like, we're going to talk about worship. And indeed we are. We're going to talk about worship. But I mean to say the worshiping God that we do by singing. In other words, we can worship God in many different ways. We, we can worship God in the way we attend to His Word listening to the sermon. We worship God in our giving. Friend, our whole life should be the worship of God. Worshiping God in our work and in our rest and in our conversations and in our relationships. 
all of life for the Christian should be an offering of worship to the Lord. I want to talk this morning about that particular offering of worship through song as we sing together. So we're going to be kind of all over our Bibles today, but we're going to be tethered to Psalm 150, which I'd like to begin by, by reading. So follow along with me, if you would, this final psalm in the book of Psalms. This is God's Word. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And if you think I read that too loud, I didn't. Because that is the loudest psalm in the book of Psalms. Praise the Lord. All right. We're going we're gonna to consider this together. It makes me just honestly, just makes me want to invite the worship team back up. And let's just obey this and let's praise the Lord. But I want to consider it first. And then we will invite the worship team back up and praise the Lord together. So a simple outline, two, two points this morning. And the first is the command to praise. The command to praise. So this, this chapter is a, a short six verses. And in six verses, we are commanded no less than 13 times in six verses to praise the Lord. If you missed it the first time, you might have caught it the second or the uh, 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 13th by the time you're done reading this short passage. Now, notice it is, in fact, a command. It's a, it's a, it's a, re, it's a requirement. God is telling us to praise Him. If we were to take this word out into our culture, if you were to take this to friends that you have that don't know the Lord, this would be perceived as a bad thing. God is commanding us to praise Him? As though He's a kind of a, a cosmic dictator? God commands us to praise, and, and we're like forced to give Him praise? Perhaps you've heard such thoughts or thought such thoughts. Such thoughts are the way that Satan himself would think, praising God. What is not thought of in our culture in that defiance against God is, is a deeper reality. Um, all of us are born wanting to worship something. And all of us are born actually worshiping. We, we, are, we are worshipers. It's a fact. All humans are worshipers. We all give praise. We all give devotion or honor or esteem. Pick, pick the adjective you want. We all give praise to something, and it might be something quite seemingly trivial, like a sports team, a job, a relationship, a pleasure. Every human wants to worship something, and every human is about worshiping something. Praise is our, it's our natural language. It's what we do. It's true for every culture on the planet. 
It's true for every person in every culture. So, so the question we start with is not, will we worship something, but rather, what something will we worship? Because we will be and are worshipers. So again, the, pray, the command in verse 1 is not just a command to praise. Praise! No, we are praising. We are worshiping. The command is to direct our praise and to direct our worship to the one worthy of our praise and of our worship, the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. So humans were created to praise. You could think of it like this. Dolphins were created to swim. They seem to really enjoy it. You think of these dolphins, they're like swim by the, the bow wake of a ship, like they're racing the ship all the time. It looks like they're having fun. Dolphins enjoying being dolphins. You know? God created them to swim. He created horses to run, just galloping across the open plain. And to the degree that a horse can take pleasure in it, I think a horse takes pleasure in it. And dogs created to, 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 to retrieve and to protect and to be loyal. All of those things. And pigs created to eat, I suppose. That's, they seem to enjoy that just fine. For each of these animals, there is something good and fitting and right that they do. They were made to do. And it's not just good and fitting and right. It is also, as far as animals can go, delightful and satisfying and, and fulfilling as they do what they were created to do, you were made to worship God. You were made to worship Him. When we worship something other than God, by definition then, we are worshiping something less than God. And when we worship something less than God, we find ourselves demeaned and brought low and made less and brought to ruin. Humans that worship idols, anything aside from God, are less for it. We're less human for it. So we're all born in our sin, and in our sin we're quite happy worshiping ourselves. And yet we find that we're not happy, ultimately, worshiping ourselves. We're, we're, our hearts make little idols of almost anything. We heard some testimonies this morning in Sunday school. I was, I was, I was looking for something. Couldn't find it. Looking here, looking there, looking here, looking there. What everybody is about doing. And it leads to misery and destruction. It is only in the worship of God that we are made complete. This is what we were made to do. It... It's that horse that's just bolting across the plain, running as it was designed to run. It's, it's good and, and right and fitting that, it, that the horse run. It's good and right and fitting that we worship our maker. It's fulfilling and satisfying and, and soul-enriching when we worship our maker. Worshiping God does not make us less human. It makes us fully human as we were designed to be. It's because of how we're, we're made, but it's also because, more directly, of who He is. God alone is worthy of our 
worship. In the passage in front of us, there's actually two reasons given for us to worship God. Thirteen times we're told to do it, but there are two reasons given. They're both, both in verse 2. Look back. Look back with me. It says, praise Him for His mighty deeds and praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Two reasons. First, we're to praise Him for His mighty deeds. We're called to praise God because He has a track record. And it is a good track record. We're called to praise Him for what He has done. What has He done? Ken, remind me. What has God done? He, friend, is Creator. All things that exist, He created by His plan, by His Word. Galaxies flung into space, and planets sent spinning in orbit, and birds sent singing into the trees, and horses sent running across the plains. Open your eyes and you will see the mighty works of the Lord because He is our Creator. And then having created, He is also our Sustainer. He keeps all things going. He upholds all things. That horse that's running across the plain, it runs by the strength that God provides. And its heart beats by the design and will and ongoing strength of God. And its, its ears folded back are working as it's running by the divine plan and purpose of God. He is the sustainer of all things. Our God then is also the redeemer of sinners. It's funny, before you come to know God, it's remarkable not funny, it's remarkable. We tend to think that God is a sinner against us. God messed up. God did something wrong. Friend, we are sinners towards God. The fault was all ours. The problem, all ours. The consequences, all ours. And yet, God did everything to fix all of it. It was His plan. It was His action. It was His decision. It was His suffering on our behalf. All of the solution is of God. Those are His mighty deeds. And friend, when you think of the mighty deeds of God, let us never think of or even speak of the mighty deeds of God without remembering the mightiest of His mighty deeds in His sending His Son and dying for us on the cross. The deed that to the world looked the weakest, dying in ignominy, however you say that word, shame. There the strength of God was revealed as He overcame what could not be overcome in any other way. These are the, this is the mightiest of the mighty deeds of God. So, we are commanded to praise Him for His mighty deeds. Second, we're called to praise Him according to His excellent greatness. His excellent greatness. If you notice, there's an adjective there. His greatness is so great, it needs an adjective in front of it. Not enough to say His greatness. We are saying His 
excellent greatness, and you might, your translation might be slightly different. You could say, the greatness of His greatness. This is what His great deeds point us to. Mighty deeds reveal a mighty God. The mighty deeds of God point us to the God of mighty deeds. The good deeds of God point us to the goodness of God. The rescuing deeds of God point us to the fact that God is rescuer. The defending deeds of God to the fact that He's defender. The glorious deeds of God reveal His glory. The deeds are what He does. The greatness is who He is. And the one points to the other. Our God is great. He is great and glorious. He is the essence of all that is good and merciful and kind and just and generous. And we are to praise Him according to His excellent greatness. All right, those two things set God apart from all other things. This is the God we're called to worship. Now, let's, let's take that into Sunday morning. How does this command work? I have to say, this is one of the most enthusiastic of all the Psalms. It is, it is a loud psalm. It's enthusiastic. It's exciting. But notice the way this works. God does not say, get excited. You know, come to church and get excited. Think, you know, when you come to church, think about how you're feeling. Emphasize your emotions. No. The command to praise is not that we focus on our feelings. It is that we focus on our God. The greatness of our God is meant to produce great feelings in His people. How do you get great feelings for God? Don't think about your feelings for God. That's how you get there. Don't think about those. Think about the greatness of your God. And your feelings will follow after it. So our first application this morning as we seek to, to live under God's Word and to obey His Word. If you want to grow in your worship of God, in your praise of God, in, in the fullness of your heart to the Lord, in the expressiveness with which you worship the Lord, with, with joy and, and full emotions as we see in Psalm 50, the first thing we do is don't focus on your emotions. Focus on your God. Gain a fresh glimpse of the mighty deeds of the Lord. Look again each week for the excellent greatness of the God that you serve. And then praise follows after that. See, think of the angels in heaven, right? The angels in heaven are not trying hard to worship. Like, come on, guys. It's a little slow this morning. Come on, let's worship Jesus. Like there's a little angelic pep rally before they get out there. Like, no, they don't have to work hard to worship. They worship because of what they see. They worship because of whose presence they are in. Worship is the, is the response to the glory of God in the people of God. So when you come to church on Sunday, don't, don't come focused on your feelings. Don't, don't come trying to feel something about God. Come trying to think something about God. About the God who is. 
Let's encounter the living God who is. And he does inhabit the praises of his people. He is with us now. He is with us when we sing. But we want to approach the living presence of God according to how he has revealed himself. And he did not say come thoughtfully, thoughtlessly. He said, praise him for his mighty deeds. We come thoughtfully into the presence of the Lord, remembering the mighty deeds of God. And he said, praise him according to his excellent greatness. So we need to think about and remind ourselves and stir ourselves up with the excellent greatness of God. Now this, by the way, as an aside, this is why we sing the songs that we sing at Mercy Hill. This is why we select the songs that we select and maybe don't select some of the other songs that we, we don't select. We, we are looking for songs that draw our attention to the mighty deeds of the Lord. And then we're looking for songs that draw our attention to the excellent greatness of God. And we acknowledge that amongst the mighty deeds of God, there are no deeds mightier than what He did for us on the cross. And so, so we, we are looking to, to see the greatness of God in the face of Jesus Christ in what He did for us on Calvary. That, this, this defines the, the song set that we're, we're after theologically rich songs. You might think they're wordy. They are. They're wordy. Because you need words to think about the mighty deeds of God. And you need words to describe the excellent greatness of the God that we're called to worship. Empty minds do not result in full hearts of praise unto God. So, I thought we would, we would look at a song together. We're, we're learning a new song together, and they're going to they're gonna put up the lyrics to this song. So, a song we just started learning over the last few weeks is called Sing. I think that's almost a confusing name for a song. It's so short. It's called Sing. But I want, I want you to see the logic of this song. All right, I'm going, to re- I'm going to read this. I'm going to try not to sing it. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to talk about it as we go. All right, this is the object lesson of one of our songs. Did you draw a breath as the dawn awoke? Does your heart still beat? Is the mighty word of the living God upholding you? Then sing, oh sing. See what this does? It's drawing our attention to the mighty deeds of God. Do you know that he sustains you? You woke up this morning thinking that it's just normal to wake up because you do it every morning. Have you forgotten that you drew that breath by the word of the Lord? That he sustains you? That his, he keeps your heart beating and the mighty word of the living God is upholding you? Oh, you remember all that? Now let's sing unto the, to the one who sustains us. Okay, next verse. Has the Father's love filled your longing heart with grace for every need come and lay your burdens at jesus feet and find new strength to sing oh sing you know when we we gather we, we come in with burdens problems what does this do it reminds us in that first verse that god has never left us alone has the he's filled our longing heart with grace for every need look back look back and you'll remember he has met you every time. 
So, you've got a burden this morning? Come and lay your burden at Jesus' feet and find new strength to sing. Next verse. We've got four verses. We're on verse 3. Has the Son of God died to take away your sin and set you free? Has the conqueror trampled over death? Is Christ enthroned? Then sing. Oh, sing. What remarkable truth. Oh, the mighty works of God. And here, this verse is the mightiest of the mighty works of God. That Christ came and took away our sin. And regardless of how we feel, oh, how I feel coming into worship. Who cares how I feel coming into worship? This is true as I come into worship. My feelings need to wake up and catch up to what's true. Last verse. On the final day, when the Lord on high returns in majesty, we will bow in wonder before the Lamb. And evermore, the saints will sing. This evermore, the saints will sing. And this reminds us, reminds us of a future mighty work of God. When we gather around that throne. Oh, I'm going to sing on that day. I ought to sing today too. I could sing in hope for that great day that's coming. Okay, thank you. You can great okay so praise is is our response to encountering the god who is in his mighty acts and in his excellent greatness so number one was the command to praise number two the response to praise so we're, we know we're commanded to praise how should we respond to the lord what does it look like with what emotions can we come to the lord let me ask it that way with what emotion can we come? What emotions are proper for, for worship? <laughs> oh, the spectrum. Oh, the spectrum. Now, if you're taking notes, you can jot down some of the references as I go. I'm going to go quick. I wouldn't recommend trying to flip because it's just impossible. Probably best just to listen and think about these different emotions in different verses. Psalm 18.6. In my distress I called upon the Lord to my God I cried for help psalmist says in Psalm 119 28 my soul melts away for sorrow does it get deeper than that and again in Psalm 42 my tears have been my food day and night Psalm 43, verse 5, questioningly asks of himself, Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Maybe you've come to the Lord to worship and you identify with these starting points. Psalm 119, verse 120 the worshiper comes fearing the God that they're worshiping. My flesh trembles for fear of you. I am afraid of your judgment. If you've never been afraid coming into worship because of the reality of the sin you had just committed, perhaps you haven't realized who you're worshiping. It's inappropriate at times response. The author of Hebrews certainly agrees Hebrews 12, 28, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. 
For our God is a consuming fire. And then on the other side, we see David gladly declaring, in your presence is fullness of joy. And again in Psalm 33, 21, our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Then the Christian approaching God in Psalm 9, verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Gratitude overflowing. That's a spectrum. Psalms is a spectrum of emotions. It's a, it's a godly spectrum. The spectrum of Psalms is, is the spectrum of our lives. And that whole spectrum is an acceptable starting point for worship. All of it is, is an accept. So, so you're coming in grieving? Friend, there, there is true, godly, grieving worship. It must be that some of the worship that most honors God is that done in grief. I want you to know as you come to worship, it's okay to come grieving. I want you to know that there's a place at Mercy Hill to come in and grieve during worship. Or maybe it's doubting, bringing uncomfortable questions to God. Bring your uncomfortable questions. Just bring them to God. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Maybe you come in fearing, full of anxiety and worry. Come bring your worries and bring your fears. And where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Maybe you're depressed. Why are you so downcast in my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? So we come and we worship the Lord out of any of these starting places. The emotional range of worship is wide indeed. But the emotional range of, of, of where worship starts is something different than the emotional trajectory of worship okay there's, there's 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 where we start and when i say where we start and a trajectory that indicates change i don't mean that you have to be changed in in a five song worship set come in grieving go out laughing that's not how grief works that's not how humans work okay so so it's not five songs it's not five days it's, it's it may be maybe five years Right? So it takes time to work through those kinds of things. But there is still a trajectory of worship. And the trajectory of worship is not towards grief, though there is grieving worship. And the trajectory is, of worship is not towards fear and anxiety, though there, there is fearful and anxiety worship. The trajectory of worship is towards joy. Because the trajectory of worship is towards Jesus, who, who gives us His joy. So there is, there is a, a right trajectory. So he calls to the hurting and to the grieving and to the depressed and to the anxious and to the fearful. And what does he say? Stay there? No. He says, come to me. He says, come to me. And that's a trajectory. And there's an emotional trajectory of that as well. As we come to Jesus, we come to joy. And that's what we encounter here in the final psalm of the book. The ultimate, the last note of the, of the book of Psalms is, boy, it's a high note. It is a song of exuberant praise. 
follow along with me. I'm going to read verses 3 through 5. Praise him with trumpet sound. Have you heard a trumpet lately? It's, it's, it's loud and excited. Praise him with trumpet sounds. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. And I guess the sounding cymbals weren't loud enough. So praise him with loud clashing cymbals. This, I, I don't have words for this. What, what are the words for this? Happy, rejoicing, exuberant, unashamed, glad, celebratory worship of the king. Is that how you worship? Is that the trajectory of your worship? Do you, do you, do you worship with, with glad celebration? Or if someone were to observe you, would your worship look, we'll say, more restrained than Psalm 50 might illustrate? Friend, I... I am too restrained in my worship of God often. And Mercy Hill, we are too restrained in our worship of God often. And I don't know what it is for you. Perhaps at times, like me, I relate to all these. Perhaps it's apathy coming in and you're, and you're singing the songs and the, the songs are full of theology. That's great. But if you don't engage with it, your heart won't follow. Just sing in the words. Perhaps we're restrained because of a certain, what would I call it, like Christian subculture that relates worship in church to a kind of, you know, properness. Restrained. Dignified. Decorum. I think Psalm 150 uh, would challenge that notion of a kind of restrained worship of God. This is, this is exuberant worship of God. Or perhaps, again, like me, it, it, it would be fearing what others think. What if I, what if I raise my hands? What are they going to think if I raise my hands? What, what are they going to think if I, if I clap? What, what, what if I were to kneel? Would someone, what would they, what would they, or, or, or if I shouted amen or hallelujah. The great deeds of God call for a great response from his people. Great deeds of God call for a, a great response from his people. So listen, as you worship God on a Sunday, as you come in, there is no danger, I promise, there's no danger whatsoever that you're going to worship too much no danger you're going to make it seem like god is you know greater than he really is not going to happen the danger lies in the opposite direction and danger it is that you will so utterly fail to make it seem as though god is great at all he who is so indescribably Great. Got a um, a quote in your in your bulletin if you've got it. 
under resource highlights, the right right hand side. It's written a couple hundred years ago, so it's not the easiest. But hopefully you can get the heart. The righteous set no bounds to their praise of the Most High. No boundaries, no limits to the praise of the Most High. There is no danger that any creature will speak of God in terms too exalted. But rather, that in our highest services, we will fall below the glory of the theme. God's perfections are infinite. And we should not seek to limit our expressions of gratitude or adoration. Amen to that. Okay, so I want you to consider the next, I've got a second set of verses that I'm going to fly through. And these are verses of worship. These are examples of worship from the scriptures, mostly from the Psalms. As I read, I want you to consider something along the lines of, do I do that? Or maybe, have I ever done that? Okay. Ezekiel 3.11. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord. 2 Samuel 6.14. David danced before the Lord with all his might. Psalm 33, 1. Shout for joy in the Lord. Psalm 47, 1. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalm 33, 3. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Psalm 63, 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. And again, Psalm 134.2, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Or Psalm 5.7, I will bow down. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Last one, Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Those are a lot of words of different ways that people express praise in the Scripture. Shouting and clapping, and raising hands, and dancing, and then bowing, and kneeling, and, and being silent before the awesome God who is. Now, what do you tend to do with those verses? I like to think things like, well, I'm, I'm kneeling in my heart. Okay, well listen, if your heart is not postured in worship, don't bother kneeling with your body. Sure. I'm raising the hands of my spirit. 
are you? Because I have not figured out how to control the hands of my spirit at this point. Has he not given us voices with which to sing? Has he not given us hands to truly raise? Has he not given us knees to truly bend before him? Or maybe your, your thought when you read those is, it's just not me, I'm just not comfortable. And if that's you, I get it. I'm there too, but friend, let us not limit our worship of God according to our own comforts. Let us aim to worship God as He deserves to be worshipped regardless of our own comforts. With, with yes, hearts filled. Let it, let it be there and begin there. With hearts that are filled to overflowing with gratitude and gladness in God, but then overflowing onto like happy faces and tapping feet and bent knees and raised hands and loud voices declaring the goodness of God. So, are there any of those expressions of worship that we just read through? Are there any of those that you've never done? Why? Are there any of those that cause you fear? Why? Now look, I have no desire uh, that we have a church where everybody does the same thing. As though, okay, and now we're all going to raise our hands together. Or let's all get down on our knees at the same time. No. The point is not to be doing the thing that the person next to you is doing. The point's probably to not be thinking about the other person or what the other person is thinking about you, but rather to be considering the greatness of God and responding to His greatness because great He is. And He is worthy of full-hearted, and yes, overflowing into our physical bodies, expressions of worship unto God. That's the goal, that our expressiveness would just honor Him. So, friends, would God have you kneel in worship? You know, some, some aren't physically able to do that. If you are, would God have you kneel? If you're in the edge, then really easy. Step out, you can kneel in the aisles. If you're in the middle, shuffle on over. Don't make way. Kneel. Just, just listen to the Lord. It's one of the reasons I've thought about getting chairs one day so that we would have room to kneel because pews are harder. I'll tell you what, fill the aisles and then we'll get chairs. Would the Lord have you kneel? Then kneel. Would he have you raise your hands? Then raise your hands. Would he have you shout hallelujah? Then by all means, shout hallelujah. Can this get out of control? Yeah, we're not really close to that. Being honest, there's a off the road on that side somewhere. We do want to do all things in love. There is a reality to that, not being distracting to everyone. Yeah. I can gently say, and this might sound funny, I don't, 
I'll let you know. Right? You can come ask. Ken, is it distracting when I do this? Come ask. That's a great way. No, that's not distracting. Then do it. Worship the Lord. Because He's worthy of non-stoic worshipers. Of worshipers with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. So, we're going to close by singing today. And that's the worship team's cue to go ahead and come up. As I mentioned at the beginning, we're going to sing several songs. We saved a little bit of time so that we could sing several songs together. Now, dear friends, the sermon just ended talking about physical expressiveness unto God, which is going to tempt you to head into this worship time thinking about physical expressiveness unto God. So let me, let me remind you of how we come into worship. We are to praise Him for His mighty deeds. We are to praise Him according to His excellent greatness. So as we enter this time of worship, don't think about physical expressiveness. Think about God and the greatness of God. And then respond as the Lord calls you to respond to Him. So let's let our focus and our attention and our worship be upon the one who's worthy of worship. So let's stand together and let us obey these words. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Amen.